Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Movie Go Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme, new to tune. Alrighty, welcome to Movie Go Round. My name is Brett Stewart, and joining me as always, I have two wonderful co-hosts. Nicole Davis, how are you this fine evening? Hey, couldn't be couldn't be better. At least I am not pregnant by some dude I can't remember. So can't go, you know, that's a it's a good, nice low bar to clear to start with this evening. Yeah, real racy for 1943, and we're gonna get into uh, this week's film, which is, of course, your choice for new to two, because David uh, and I had not seen this film before. And David Luzader, how are you? I'm doing good. See, I'm here to talk about pictures of the 1940s. I'm going to yeah. do the entire show in a voice like this. Great. I probably can't keep this up for very long, so we'll see how much longer <laughs> I keep the bit going. I I love Norval. Let's talk about Norval. Norval Jones, the... My favorite character now of 1940s cinema, because this week we watched The Miracle of Morgan's Creek. And before I give a brief rundown of it, I do want to mention next week's film. Next week is Netflix Roulette. That means myself, David, Nicole all spun a wheel that gives us a random thing that's available on Netflix. And then we pick out of those three because a lot of really weird stuff shows up. So at least we have a tiny bit of discretion of what's going to happen that week. And this time it's going to be Goodfellas. So somehow a good movie ended up in there. So check out 1990s Goodfellas if you'd like to follow along for next week. But this week, The Miracle of Morgan's Creek, 1943. In this wacky Preston Sturgis comedy, the soldier-smitten Trudy Cockenlocker discovers she is both married and pregnant after a raucous uh, troop send-off party. While she has no idea who her new husband is, her longtime admirer, Norval Jones, seizes the opportunity to help. When Trudy's cop father catches word of the situation, however, wacky misunderstandings follow, with the well-meaning Norval on the wrong side of the law. This movie was just lovely. Uh, Nicole, why did you pick it? It was the, This is the oldest film we've gotten into, obviously. Yeah, this is uh, this is the oldest one that we've tackled uh period in this show or any previous and um I saw this oh gosh, probably about 10 years ago, I want to say. Uh just I'd heard of it. Um I was going through a phase of looking through older comedies and like things like other Preston Sturges comedies like The Lady Eve and Sullivan's Travels. And came across the miracle of Morgan's Creek and was stunned at the content they got away with for 1943 with the Hayes Code still firmly in place and the censors with their red pencils out. And um, so it's kind of an amazing thing that this got made the way it did at all. And uh, it's delightful it's smart it's quick-witted uh it's funny there's an amazing little sister in this movie that everyone ends up loving um and i thought well we haven't done anything very old yet and you guys hadn't seen this yet and by golly this is a movie that you ought to see 
you know, as I was watching this movie, I couldn't help but think, oh my god, that the censors had to have a field day with this movie. And upon looking it up, there were so many objections from the censors, the Sturgis began the production with only 10 approved script pages, and the War Department also had concerns, because they wanted to make sure the film's portrayal of the departing soldiers should, quote... Uh, result in giving the audience a feeling that these boys are normal, thoroughly fit American <laughs> soldiers who have had an evening of clean fun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I'm glad that they were able to stray a little bit from what the War Department wanted them to have in this. Uh, David, right. broadly, did you enjoy this or not today? Oh, yeah, I enjoyed this movie a lot. Um, I am not a stranger to cinema of this era. Um, I believe I've mentioned her on the show before. My friend Erica was really into films of this era, so we would watch these old movies a lot. Um, Turner Classic Movies would just always be on when we were hanging out. Uh, and we were really big into um, the uh, the Marx Brothers. So we... I have like a lot of history with, with this era, but I have never seen this movie before. And I can't believe I hadn't seen this movie before. It is so great on so many levels and really um, ahead of its time in a lot of ways. Oh goodness. Yes. And <laughs> uh, just in terms of some of the stuff that they did and some of the writing, um, not just like some of the content, but some of the ways that they accomplished filming is really interesting. And stuff now that we take for granted and is super easy was super difficult to accomplish back then. And they pulled it off. And it's, it, yeah, this is a movie. I'm always looking for more movies from this era that I can recommend generally to people. Because um, I think a lot of people now, they have this kind of, they have this feeling of like, oh, movies back then were you know, antiquated and, and old timey and, you know, really kind of stiff color. And this is really fun and lighthearted. And I think a lot of people could enjoy this movie. Absolutely. I think the comedy of this movie holds up to a contemporary standard so much so mm -hmm. that I, I put this in our docket because I couldn't help but think about it. If this was made today, Judd Apatow would direct it and Seth Rogen would be Norval and it would be awful. It would be so aggressively bad. <laughs> Because I could see this story being remade today, couldn't you? But it would be done in that, like, really intense vulgarity that Judd Apatow is kind of known for at times. Like, a la, like, Knocked Up or something like that. I could see this happening in that vein. I don't know. It's not... It's not all that racy by today's standards. Mm -hmm. You know, some... Teenager gets pregnant in or out of wedlock, and people hardly bat an eye nowadays. So, yeah, for the for the time, this really was pushing a lot of boundaries in a lot of ways, especially with its content. I think you're right. If a movie like this was being made today, I think Knocked Up is kind of a good parallel um, to this movie, where there's still like. Uh, that you know this this woman gets pregnant outside of wedlock and it's not really like a huge deal that you know that she's she's pregnant but there's still this question of like is the guy gonna you know saddle up and and take responsibility um which i think is more the question now than like the scandal of a woman is pregnant right um which of course they could not say in 1943 
that she was Thanks. pregnant. They can't say the word pregnant. It's so. a natural thing. <laughs> it's, I know. It's I fact. know. You can't say pregnant. You could. You can. She could say, "I'm going to have a baby." That's far as they could go. So, question here: uh, They repeatedly refer to Trudy as a minor. Now, I understand yes. her sister is f- supposed to be fourteen. How old is she right. supposed to be? Seventeen. Yeah, that'd be my guess. Because I mean, minor was eighteen, pretty much. Yeah, I would and say she, sixteen. So she's probably or right on the cusp of that, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she has a job. And uh, how old is Norval supposed to be? I, I'm guessing he's just like maybe a year older. Yeah, yeah. He seemed like he was an a quote unquote adult. Uh, yeah. Old enough to try to get into the army. Yeah. Right. Okay. Now, 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 Norval does not get in the army for reasons the film does not necessarily get into, other than he will. He, they say he has high spots. He sees spots. Right. He sees spots. He has high blood pressure. He has uh, panic freezes attacks. up when he right when he when he gets into the uh, the recruitment office. So he's like designated. I think four F is what it was. If you were just mm-hmm. not yes. fit for duty in World War Two, uh, and I actually think one of the adorable things about this movie is the conflict for Norval from the beginning of the movie is I don't get to wear a uniform. I don't get to have the dignity and the, and the, the fanfare of being a soldier. And then at the end of the movie, he kind of gets it in a really dumb way, which I think is really (laughs) adorable. Like it's a very happy ending despite Norval just getting shit on for 90 minutes. <laughs> well, at the end of the movie, Norval gets what he has always said that he wanted. He gets to be married to Trudy and he gets to be in the army. And he gets to be a father <laughs> to just father. six kids. To six children. Yeah. And uh, he recovered and became increasingly happy. For yes. as Shakespeare said, some were born great, some achieved greatness, and some have greatness thrust upon them. I yes. love that that was. <laughs> The ending title card of this film, but the greatness thrust upon him is this new life yep. he's now found himself <laughs> in. And let's, uh, Norville is such a great character Poor because, Norville. <laughs> like, because he is so innocent and sweet and unassuming and dumb in not an aggressively dumb way. That scene where they are trying to get him to escape from prison. Oh, yes. And he cannot take the hint that the the constable is trying to help him. Right. It's so funny. Oh, if my god! somebody yeah. were to knock me on the head and escape, there's nothing I can do about that. Well, no one's going to do that, sir. <laughs> and I love how it just gets... In- in- this is a-, a sense of comedy that is so contemporary in the sense that it just gets increasingly ridiculous in the ways that he's going to try to let Norval escape all the way to the point where he's outside of the building, like trying to shut the, uh, trying to, no, trying to open the window while up in a tree and explaining to Norval, it's going to take me a while to get out of this tree. Uh, And then when he, when he falls, he's like, well, I, I'm certainly not going to get up for at least 10 minutes. And my gun is way over there. And Norval's like, let me get that for you. (laughs) And goes and Grabs the gun for him. Uh, oh, it's the best episode guys, of Prison Break ever. 
<laughs> I would I would love to say that's an exaggeration, but I I've met some guys who really can't take a hint. <laughs> no, he's <laughs> really just so can't. he's so clueless. But one oh, thing I, I I do love about the the story of of Norval finally getting his his dream life at the end of the movie is that there's this weird character arc for Trudy where she starts mm-hmm. off and it's very clear that she's utilizing Norval in order as a patsy to just go out and have a fun night on the town with the boys and then you know use his car and pick him up then you know pick him up later and get home and not be in trouble with her folks or her dad which i love by the way the dad is f- fantastic who is the constable that david is referencing uh-huh. um and then he gives her this really heartfelt speech about how he was trying to you know be with her for like their entire life all the way to the point that he subjected himself to knitting class um no so cooking and sewing cooking and he didn't sewing. mind the sewing he didn't mind no the he didn't sew- mind the cooking I no, he didn't mind cooking the cooking he didn't mind. right <laughs> right and she has this change of heart that i couldn't tell for about 30 minutes whether or not it was genuine whether or not she was still playing him and it turns oh, out she's no, not no no, no. No, it's when she, when he's confessing how much he's loved her since they were little kids and they're sitting on the porch steps and she realizes that he's got this tremendous, genuine love for her and she doesn't deserve him, that she bursts out crying and decides she can't, she can't rope him into this without him knowing what's going on. Right. So, and I think uh, that's where she starts to see him as the genuinely you know, kind and thoughtful person that she should be aspiring to and not just some dude in a uniform. Yeah. One thing I really love about this movie is that the characters have depth, which I don't want to say was rare for this era, but for comedies, it was rare for this era. And I would say still to some degree today, most uh, people just played very surface level stereotypes. The women want to get married. The men don't for whatever reason um and this like people have some depth like we talked about the dad uh who makes this comment about he's being both mother and father to these two girls and like you know he's in one scene he's there cleaning his guns talking to norville and another he comes out in an apron with like a dish rag uh which reminded me of a really specific joke from the amanda Bynes show but <laughs> that's neither here nor there uh because there's a whole thing about being both your mother and your father since your mother left anyway uh i just love that he that the dad had these levels to him and that scene when he learns what's going on and he gets mad at his daughter for the sense of you could have come to me you know i i've lived a long time maybe i know a few things about life and that's, that's just so much better than him just getting mags like no daughter of mine is gonna right oh he's the ultimate yeah which would have been a much more common attitude of the time exactly mm-hmm. that, that's what i was about to say he is the ultimate 1940s parent because he's like decades ahead of his time uh and i just adore so many of his quotes in the movie you know one of my favorite ones i put in the slack was he goes from you know brandishing his gun on the doorstep to trying to help norval uh woo his do- his daughter movie is a very good place you can hold hands and snuggle up you want me to come sit behind <laughs> you uh i just i love him he's so ridiculously 
over the top in both directions, right? Because he is the, he is the, the Papa bear brandishing the gun on the porch. I'm going to come give you a swift kick in the butt. But at the same time, (laughs) he is the mama bear. I'm going to pay off $2 to the motel, like, marriage Justice guy peace yeah yeah uh in order to rip up this marriage certificate and he just you, you know you guys are so right there is such depth to his character that makes him so interesting perhaps arguably the most interesting character of the film for me and i loved his relationship with emmy uh, his youngest daughter they had this great antagonistic sort of relationship uh you you always get though that there is there's love behind all of these little jabs that they make at one another. Mm-hmm. That's fact, what makes this so awesome. Oh my gosh! You know the the younger daughter is she's she's a wiseacre. She mm-hmm. and her dad is not thrilled with it, but you can you can tell he still loves her and is lets her be who she is. And it's, you know, he doesn't bring the hammer down on her, even though he's the town constable and a guy raising two girls alone. And you'd think he'd be more authoritarian rather than less. But inside the house, it's it it seems like maybe the girls are a little more in charge than he'd like to admit. <laughs> yeah, but they don't ever belittle him or, no. or yeah, yeah. Uh, emasculate him like they treat him with you know love and respect that that is their father and though there is a scene (laughs) where paying off the house you tell her that twice a day right yes uh though there is a scene where uh the scene where david mentioned that the father is telling her you know you could have come to me uh instead of gone and done all this ridiculous stuff right before that is when the two girls are sitting like on opposite sides of him and Emmy's sitting on his lap and basically Trudy is telling him what's about that what's happening and then Emmy just very slightly changes what Trudy just said and repeats it back to the father just to make sure he understands just to translate it to him uh and he gets it you know he's obviously very frustrated but surprisingly sympathetic to the issue of the film and you know as we're talking about this film we, we mentioned this briefly at the beginning of the show, a film for 1943 to be exploring, you know, a promiscuous night out that ends up in, uh, what, sextuplets? Yeah, sex, sextuplets being born. Um, and it's, it's pretty out there for 1943. And, you know, Nicole put in our doc, and rightfully so, uh, how did this movie get around Hayes Code and the censors? And I'm to well, be they, honest, I'm still not entirely sure. Carefully, carefully, yeah. <laughs> you know, they show her, they show her drunk, um, right. but you know, she insists, "I've never had a drink in my life, and I was just having lemonade last oh, right. night." All right, and they also we don't show her actually pregnant. They like never actually the special to her. wartime lemonade with no sugar in it. Ah. Right, exactly. <laughs> <Of> that <laughs> save the sugar for victory. So everyone's taking a sip and making a horrible face. Right, <laughs> but. I suspect there was more in that lemonade than just lemon juice. Probably. Because the uh, sergeant at the army base is surprised that the men are so chipper (laughs) in the morning. He's like, if I drank that much lemonade, I'd be sour for a week. Yeah. They they, they get around a lot by hinting broadly. (laughs) Yes. Very broadly. Very obliquely. 
Yes. Uh, short of at times turning and to the camera and winking. <laughs> but yeah, not they, far short. Yeah. But like we but said, like they, they don't they don't there's... say that she's pregnant. Yeah. They don't you just ever... see her at the doctor's office crying. But yeah, they don't even they show don't her pregnant. When she sex. actually is pregnant and then later when she's in the hospital giving birth, you don't see it either time. They don't even show her. No, you never see the pregnancy. You don't yeah. see any baby bump. They almost ever. make it like aggressively obvious they're doing it to the point where the the doctor that is caring for her in their exile quote question mark uh, like comes to her and is talking to her and no, that's not the doctor. That's her that's, old employer, that's the record store owner. Oh, yeah. I see. Okay, well, well, he is, but he's he's the one who's arranged for this, you know, like farmhouse that they're staying right, in. That, right, and and he's there speaking to her and the camera is very purposefully placed to not even show her in any capacity because this is assuming she's what six months into her pregnancy at that point no that would be like nine months at the time that that happened um i wonder how much of that is uh, yeah we're not going to show it to get around it but also you know they didn't really have the same makeup and costume technology that they do of today. <laughs> and I imagine True. it probably was not um, easy to make a woman look convincingly pregnant. If she probably wasn't probably not plus, I mean, you don't see the birth at all because that wasn't allowed. Well, you couldn't yeah, show no. any aspect of childbirth whatsoever. No. Um, so that's why you just see the doctors running around in the corridor. Um, but there is a, there's one where the reference will go whizzing by if you're not paying attention um, where the they're in the lawyer's office trying to find out if she's really married and the lawyer asks the uh, the marriage was celebrated I presume marriages uh. usually are and what the word he wants that you're supposed to hear in your head is consummated yeah so. <laughs> It, that's very careful very yeah. very careful use of language they they did a great job because you couldn't you know with, with just the era of the time you couldn't really have a woman sleeping around outside of marriage like that probably would not have gotten past the censors so right. they make so this, she's married yeah they make the careful caveat of she's married but then they also weave that into the story in such great ways later on of their whole insane plan yeah, can we talk about that uh, plan and how, how little sense it makes uh <laughs> well it does kind of well all right hold on wait let me back For... up just a little bit <laughs> another thing that they want you to they want you conflating marriage and sex because this is a sex comedy to some degree mm -hmm. and so every time they say the word marriage their sex is involved in there mm -hmm. um like when, you know, the younger sister is at the piano and she's playing the wedding march and her oh, father's no, like, what are you doing thinking about, thinking about marriage? She's like, anybody can think about marriage, right. can't they, free. father? There's no harm in thinking about it. It's when you, you know, want to do something about that, you have to pay $2. So, <laughs> right. Which, you know, could be for a marriage license, could be for paying for you know carrying through on what you're thinking about so it's you know that's it's they're they're getting around it carefully preston sturges was a very smart man but to give some context to the listeners who have not seen the film before and are curious as to the plan we are 
referring to. Oh, yes. Essentially, what Norval says is she can't find the... She never got a copy of the marriage license when she married some random, uh, you know, boy Rasty in uniform. Wasty. And she also used a fake name. So Norval says, well, why don't we go and get hitched again and we'll use fake names again? That way we can utilize that as the marriage certificate from the first marriage. I think the purpose of that one to, was to get that fake marriage certificate to then get it annulled or get a divorce or something a divorce, like that. divorce, right. So then she could get married legally to Norval. Yeah. Right. So this Although, does not of course, play- it being an illegal marriage the second time with the plan, it wouldn't be valid getting the it divorced. First so. marriage is illegal. First marriage no is yes. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why the lawyer says that the first marriage is legal if they both gave fake names. Yeah, there's some I, very bad legal advice that gets thrown around yeah. this film. And similarly, well, there's he some- says it's a matter of deed, not effect. You know, it's true. It, the deed is that two people got up in front of a justice of the peace and oh, promised to marry sad. each other. If but I go up there and say, hey, I'm Mel Gibson, out. and, you know, someone else says, I'm. Barney the elephant. Barney's not an elephant. He's a he's a dinosaur. That does not mean uh, we are married, okay? Like no. No. Well, I love I love and that kind of points too like society around them is sort of the typical 1940s society, right? Where you have this little family then that is kind of exceedingly modern because you have the you know that's the thing of like you stood in front of a justice of the peace or whatever, you are married and then you have the dad who is like there's a marriage certificate that nobody can dig up. Why, you know, why are you concerned about that? <laughs> Nobody's going to be pressuring your story. Right. Uh, backtracking a moment, just on in thinking in retrospect, Mel Gibson has almost most certainly accidentally married a person in a Barney costume at some point <laughs> while entirely drunk. Correct. Well, yeah, and nobody's just, contesting that. Okay, we're just hammering that out now. Uh, yeah, just, yeah. One thing with this movie, also, I want to bring up. Uh, is another way it could have potentially gotten around the the Hayes Code, which is uh, so they had the first group of script pages which were being negotiated, and Preston Sturgis did something he had never done before. He began shooting on the scheduled start date of production with barely ten pages of a finished script. In fact, so dependent was he on last minute improvisation and sudden bursts of creativity that it was almost at the end of production before he even knew what the miracle of the title would be. He shot for eight hours every day, then stayed up most of the night writing. This gave the whole process a sense of atypical um, pressure for a Sturgis production. Uh, also, really erratically, was he would pick up cameras from the studio and set up stuff for a ridiculous amount of time, frustrating both the studio and the performers. And then he would be so on it for about two hours that he would shoot more in two hours in long, continuous scenes than most directors would get done in about three days. Well, he would, he would shoot 11 pages in a, a day, which if you're shooting 11 pages finished, like you get it. Uh, in a day, that is insane. <laughs> oh my god! Absolutely, <laughs> to, get in, to get that in two hours is just absolutely um, bananas. But that just shows you the level of preparation and care that Preston Sturgis put into every level of his productions. Well, absolutely. In fact, you know, he spent every day going over every single line. He wanted it to be perfect. Uh, he was fighting with the studio over another one of his movies, The Great Moment. Uh, he was also overseeing another movie, The Palm Beach Story. Uh, he was running a restaurant he owned. 
So he was doing all of this stuff and all the while was being meticulous with every single aspect of this movie. And I think it shows. And again, I really cannot stress enough that that is the reason the comedy holds up. It's because it's so well written, even though it was apparently written as it went, like as it was being produced, uh, it, 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 this will stand the test of time for another, you know, what, 80 years or however long. It, it's very quick witted. It reminded me, the sisters interaction reminded me a lot of Gil, the Gilmore girls. Sure. <laughs> um, just, just the way that they like shot back and forth in their conversation. Like, whole thing about, uh, a sandwich, like a ham on rye or ham with Swiss, Swiss on rye. Yeah, Swiss on rye, and it, this the jokes kept coming back in of like cheese, Swiss. Uh, it was so well done. Yeah, no, I do. I love that. That's a very tight little conversation that they have. That um, Emmy and Trudy have. They're having a walk and talk on their way out of the lawyer's office, and. You know, Emmy's trying to convince her that she's not really married. She's like, you didn't get married. You gave it another name. How can you really be married? You you didn't get married. That was somebody else. You know, <laughs> so you guys must have snuck off like a couple of movie stars. Uh, uh, the critic James Agee described the film as a little like talking to a nun on a roller coaster, <laughs> <laughs> which... He also, um, so I'm just going to read this quote verbatim. I'm going to preface that because it's a little intense. Uh, he noted that the Hayes office has either been hypnotized into a liberality for which it should be thanked or has been raped in its sleep to allow the film to be released. That's how Whoa. he described it at the time. The 40s were different. Let's just yeah. <laughs> Uh, but he's not wrong. Was, he, like, he's not wrong. Yeah, it was high. It was Paramount's highest grossing film of 1944. Oh, it was standing room only in movie theaters. Standing yeah, nine, room. <laughs> nine million dollars. Yeah. This movie is copyrighted 1943, but Paramount had so they had a glut of movies that they had completed that they held it. Until the next year. Which I was confused because, yeah, I kept seeing 1943, but then this was nominated for an Academy Award in 1945. I was like, wait a minute, right. how did that? Right. No, so it was released in 1944 and then was nominated for Academy Awards the following year, the way that, you know. Best original screenplay. <laughs> which is funny when it had 10 pages of working script <laughs> when it started shooting. Best, best uh, finished screenplay. Yes. Uh, so, so long modern tracking shots are incredibly difficult to accomplish at the time. And in so many other ways, we're ahead of its time. This is something in our docket from David. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Uh, so yeah, I was reading some of the, the trivia and stuff on this and they were talking about the long tracking shots of, um, sorry, that was my dog. Uh, <laughs> the long tracking shot of, um, I just, lost everything of Trudy and uh, a Norville when they're walking down the street and she's kind of explaining what's happening. And it's, you know, like a five minute scene, which today would be no big deal. You know, you have a camera and there's some guy walking it or it's on a track and there's someone with a boom mic tracking with them, whatever. Back then that was incredibly difficult to do. Uh, and they had to, they had to set cameras that were placed on tracks and pulled backwards by six crew members. Cause also cameras were huge back then. 
the sound crew also walked backwards with handheld boom microphones while other assistants maneuvered 300 yards of cables, lights, and reflectors. Uh, he had to shoot more than 11,000 feet of film before they got the desired footage, about 400 feet that they needed for the actual film. Wow. Uh, it was just an incredibly difficult task to accomplish at the time. And I think was, was a wonderful sequence and also something you didn't see very much, which was this really long, continuous shot where they're moving. And it's, it's very dramatic because Norval's reactions are huge. Um, but you know where they, it, a lot of times it scenes would be a lot more quiet and reserved talking like a lot is going on in that five minute walk and talk that was kind of unheard of at the time and it, I thought was a really great scene also a shout out to the scene where they're in the car because uh, and I'm talking about the one where they're going to get married fake married real married it's whatever and right, it's married. like dark out they're because the justice the <laughs> I have seen driving car scenes look worse than that today uh it looks really good (laughs) like it's very obviously sitting in front of like it's sitting in like a lot and someone is like running back and forth behind it like pulling the screen that is giving the illusion of lights and street poles behind it but because it's done first of all at night i think that's part of the reason it looks so good and also the movement of the car does not look too unrealistic. Like sometimes they're really shaking all over the place, just like Topanga right now. And then, <laughs> but this one's just like kind of chugging along and like, it works. It looks really good for 1943. Yeah, usually it looks like you've got one, one tech on each side of the car, rocking it back and forth <laughs> aggressively, which is not at all how a car moves on a standard bit of road. Exactly. So I, I think David's so, right on the money in the sense that, you know, the long tracking walk and talks. I think the, the vehicle scene is particularly well shot. I mean, one thing I noticed with this film as a whole is the, I notice this a lot when we watch older films, uh, is as an as an audio junkie, as an audiophile, quote unquote. I always am very curious as to how audio was handled in early film and music projects, and I have seen so many films from this era that handled audio worse than this movie did. Uh, this movie handled it exquisitely well. The sound quality of the film, and granted, I'm sure it's been remastered, and the version that you know we watched is different than you know when it came out. It sounds great. It sounds really, really good. The sound crews nailed every every piece of work on this movie. I think too the uh, the physical comedy holds up really well. Um, they, there's there's the dad does a bunch of different pratfalls, and you know there's like the falling which out were, of the tree, and which falling. were not intentional at the beginning. Apparently, really? he's just very clumsy, and then they're like, oh. "Whoa, we should just make that part of his character if he's going to keep falling over." It worked extremely well. I mean, maybe that's why it worked so well is because it was natural. It wasn't like right. it wasn't just like, oh, I fell over again. Yeah, absolutely. As I'm trying to kick my daughter in the butt. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, and also like the the scene where Trudy shows up in Norville's destroyed car. Like, that is so well done to me. Like, like the car actually looks completely wrecked, and it leaves to the imagination of how did this happen? Like, how did the car end up that way? Like, there's fabric and stuff torn. It's not like she just ran it into something. 
Yeah, right. I mean, there's it, fabric, there's streamers, there's a hat dangling off yeah, one of the mirrors. Of yeah, that was so great. Um, and yeah, the, the just married sign that falls off. And I totally was caught off guard by the horse and carriage that would go down the streets occasionally. Right. Uh, if, yeah, that's one thing I feel like when people make movies now that like take place in this era, they don't put in the random horse and buggy that's going to be passing you by at one in the morning (laughs) no that's i think they're trying to emphasize that it's a small town yeah and uh i i love that what is there to do in this era let's go see three movies in a row yes uh (laughs) triple features for like a dollar feature which i've done and it's true what norval says it's it is very much a matter of if your seat holds out Oh yeah, I just uh, at, I just paid money today to watch all three extended editions of the Lord of the Rings film oh, in God a speed. row at Alamo Draft House. God at least speed. I can drink. That's right. that's right. key. But I mean that that's how you went to the movies in the old days. You know, you went, you paid a certain amount of money, you walked in at whatever point the movie happened right. to be matter. at. Didn't matter if it was in, halfway yeah. done. They didn't pay attention to start times, and you would just stay through until the point where you walked in the screening before, you know, and you got your newsreel and your cartoon and your feature. Mm-hmm. One thing, so, one thing I want to bring up very briefly, uh, while we're kind of still on the topic of things that they did quite well in this movie, technologically everything. and and with the, with the grips and with the sound crew, the walk and talk that David refers to. I would be curious to see how that developed a couple years later with It's a Wonderful Life, because one of my favorite walk and talks of all time is when Jimmy Stewart is walking her uh, down the street really late at night. And uh, it's where yeah. he jumps up on the fence and says, you want me to grab the moon for you? I'll lasso it down. Yeah. You know, or something, you know, you know what I'm talking about. And that's a great uh, yes. walk and talk. And you have After to wonder. After they've had the, the pool incident. Yes. Actually, I don't. I've never seen It's a Wonderful Life. <gasps> Oh, uh, 30 years. Excuse me, I gotta go restart my heart. Hold on. Oh, it's great. But, but, but this is an, an excellent walk and talk scene that happens like beautifully at night. And it's like so beautifully framed or like there's a big giant moon in the background and everything. Oh, it's so despite sweet being, and it's funny. And oh, and so despite cute, originally and being in black and white. It looks like he's 35. Yes. <laughs> doesn't matter. All right, guys, I'll watch the movie around but, like, Christmas despite, time. I've got a whole year. Despite it originally being in black and white, and I'd recommend watching it in black and white, not colorized, um, the the aesthetic of them walking around at night is gorgeous. Like you can't see you can't see like the blues, but you know they're there, and it just it's so impactful. And I feel like this movie does a lot of that very well too. Um, a different kind well, of feel good movie. You know, Preston Sturges was one of their star directors at Paramount. They they gave him as much money as he needed most of the time. Right. Absolutely. Except for, like, there's, there was one studio head that he was constantly, uh, you know, grappling with. And that was the eventual reason that he left Paramount. I, I love the way that he shot the house. Because a lot of the times when they shot houses, it would just be like, there's very obviously a wall missing. You know, this is a stage set. This one felt like you were actually in the house. Yes. Right. Looking around. And like, you weren't, you know, you weren't fully looking onto the room. You were kind of getting like a three quarters view of it. Like you were standing in a corner watching everything happening. And that felt really real. Absolutely. I agree completely. This is a elegantly shot film i just adored it 
I completely adored it. Another thing in our docket, uh, the Dayx Machina that everyone... Dayx Machina? Machina? What's going on here? Can someone explain that, this to me? So the God of the Machine? God from the Machine. It's the, the it's the unexpected thing that swoops in at the last minute at the end and saves everything and makes everything okay. The Governor? So, well, it's the combination of the fact that, you know, spoiler... Trudy gives birth to six babies and the governor does everything he can to suddenly expedite uh, her annulment to her original husband, her marriage to Norval, Norval's uh, legal uh, introduction into the army and the dismissal of all other charges. And which there are 19 and- of, by the way, for this, which is astronomical, <laughs> and that's one of the best parts of the comedy in the movie, is a bunch of people arguing about what, what, what they do and do not want to charge what them jurisdiction? with. What <laughs> jurisdiction? Yes. Well, and not only does all that happen, but the six babies also win the war. <laughs> just by being born. Well, Mussolini quits. Mussolini quits. True. Oh, yeah, We're I forgot see- the whole Hitler thing at the end. Uh- yeah. yeah, Mussolini resigns. Hitler, so I, I mentioned this in our Slack, the guy who plays Hitler in this movie played Hitler ten times in his that career. That is such a weird career. That he is a lot of other stuff. But he played Hitler ten different times. So what do you right. do? I get typecast as Hitler a lot. No, he. I mean, he was. He had a very successful working career, but just when you needed Hitler for a movie, get this guy. <laughs> lovely, absolutely lovely. Yeah, so, I do I, love I, that I the movie. It reminds me a bit of. It reminds me a bit of Bobby what? Yeah, Bobby Watson played Hitler a lot. <laughs> okay, beautiful. Uh, I love how the end of this movie draws a really like radical left field conclusion a la like Ip Man from previous episodes where like he fought a general in a town square that, and that ended the, the war, war. <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's similarly over the top and I kind of adore that I think it's ridiculous right no the um the the big thing here to remember This needs a little historical context. The reason why this all works and why the governor is so excited is that Morgan's Creek is going to become a tourist attraction Mm -hmm. because of these six babies. Because eight years before this movie was made, the Dion quintuplets were born in Canada. And they were the first natural quintuplets that anybody had ever heard of. To any degree, and the state actually took those kids. Well, not the state, the province uh, of Ontario actually took the kids from their parents, um, nominally in order to make sure that the kids were well cared for. Because the these parents were they lived on a farm, they had a bunch of other kids. The state was worried that they wouldn't all be cared for properly, so they took the kids away and put them in basically like on display. Um, you know, they had schooling and a very strict routine and, you know, nannies and teachers, but they were also, there were like visitor galleries, millions of people, I, I believe, by the end of the time they were eight, you know, at least hundreds of thousands of people at least had come to see them and paid money. It was uh, a huge tourist thing. It was a giant boon for Ontario. So just super crazy. I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for the Dion quintuplets. It's extensive. Yes. Um, Annette and Cecile are still alive. 
Uh, Yvonne died at 67, Emily died at 20, and Marie died at 35. So two of them still survive to this day. But that that also explains why in the montage of headlines, uh, it says the uh, Canadian premier is quoted as saying that it is possible, but not probable. That right. six babies. Born. Canadians are in denial that we right. have six. <laughs> but see, a lot of people this, don't know so. that um, nowadays, you know, whereas this would be a tourist attraction back then, nowadays what actually happens is all hospitals are contractually obligated to call TLC when someone has five kids or more at once, <laughs> or or alternatively has like more than fifteen kids total. Uh, and TLC's oh, yeah. actually waiting there with a contract to like stamp there's the kids' a... hands on as soon as they come out yeah. of the womb. Uh, there's... No, there's a bit of a racy joke that's that gets tucked in there in the montage of newspaper headlines. Uh, the one where Mussolini resigns, the big headline is, Enough is sufficiency, screams El Duce. And the sub-headline in the same paper reads, Increase due to improved methods. nice there's also an episode of the simpsons about um where apu has octuplets and then another family has i don't know what nine (laughs) non-uplets non-uplets i guess uh so that's funny yeah yeah (laughs) that's what a litter uh that's just funny to think that that was parodying this whole thing um but i love that the escalation of how big these six kids would be that the news would shock uh, Mussolini and Hitler. <laughs> you know, it is just, everything's been so ridiculous up to this point, And this is just the perfect heightening of that. Absolutely. Right. It is, it is a great movie. So to, to round it out, the miracle, of course, as, as I suppose Sturgis ends up discovering himself as he writes it in the final days of creating the film is that, you know, not only is Norville able to, you know, get rid of these charges against him, but also have his little family, a little large family of him, <laughs> Trudy, and six kids. Uh, is this a movie we'd all recommend? I think it's very safe to say we would. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, if not, you know, if for nothing else, for the character of Emmy, who we did not talk about. Yeah, let's actually talk it, a little no, bit about not. Emmy before we <laughs> before we depart. Uh, Emmy is splendid in this role, and I think part of that is due to the sharp acting of of the actress yeah. playing yes. her. Yeah, Diana Lynn was actually I think she was only sixteen she was, yeah, when she, was she shot the movie when this came um, out. She's playing her own piano. She was a piano prodigy. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there's this great little scene. I guess probably two thirds of the way near the, at the end of the movie where, oh gosh. Um, oh, where <laughs> Emmy's trying to convince, help convince her father to let Norville escape jail. And he turns to her and he's like, listen, zipper puss. Someday they're just going to find your hair ribbon and an ax someplace. Nothing else. The <laughs> mystery of Morgan's Creek. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's what I mean. The great interaction between her and the dad who really, I think were the, this is a a great movie overall, but those two characters were really the highlight of this film for me. Right. Emmy is just kind of cool, calm, collected nature and everything. And she just has always the right idea and the best advice. And uh, it's so great. 
Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. you put in our docket tape, but, you know, the trope of the know-it-all wise young teen sister, which is exactly what this is, perhaps even to the point of starting a trope. Like, is it a trope and if you're in 1943? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this movie got remade eventually, but, I mean, widely different. But, you know, hey, Wait, people get... there's a get remake people... of this movie? Yep, starring Jimmy Stewart. Um... I forget what it is called now. I looked this up earlier. No, there was one made by Jerry Lewis. Oh, Jerry Lewis is what I meant, not Jimmy Stewart. Oh, I was like, I want Jimmy Stewart in this role. Okay. (laughs) That would be great. uh, Oh, that's your impression of him. That's that's my impression. The man who plays the dad is William Demarest, and he Mm -hmm. went on to a long TV career playing the father in My Three Sons. Yep. He's just kind of a dad and everything. I got to say, I love... The side characters in this movie. I love the doctor. I love the lawyer. Mm-hmm. I particularly love the lawyer, Mr. Johnson, who <laughs> says, you know, I, for one, am certainly willing to sue anybody for any reason at yeah. any time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it has to be real people. I don't want to uh, say that that Trudy and Norval are bad characters, but I think that they are outshined by yes. the yes. people around them. Betty so, Hutton is is kind of this is her best role ever. She's sort of the epitome of bland in most of her other roles. Well, the movie that you guys were referring to uh, is called Rockabye Baby, made yes, in nineteen fifty eight, it. and it's a very loose interpretation of right That's, of this yeah. of, of this film. So much to the point that it doesn't even really credit it. But just for those curious, it is about Clayton Poole, a small town TV repairman whose former sweetheart. Carla Naples is now a famous movie star. Carla Naples, what a movie star name. Carla <laughs> marries a Mexican bullfighter and becomes pregnant, but her husband dies the day of the wedding. Shocker. Her agent... Wait, was he bullfighting the day of his wedding? Oh, I need to see this. Uh, Harold <laughs> Herman tries to avoid a scandal by sending Carla back to the town where she grew up. The cover story is that she goes into seclusion to prepare for her next role. Carla turns to Clayton for help, and he agrees to care for the child once it's born. Okay. Hmm. I kind of want to see this now, but that is very loosely based off of this film. Yeah. Excellent. Well... 10 out of 10 would recommend. I yes, love this movie. Absolutely. Uh, it's something I'd love to own. I, I, I rented it on Vudu and I rented it in SD. I want to rent it in HD next time because I want to <laughs> yeah, see if it's really I, an improvement. I rented it, you know, they're famously for this podcast. I had a debacle where I accidentally bought the great beauty and I made this <laughs> whole thing of like, I need to get my money back. I meant to rent this. And this movie, I'm like, I got to make sure I rent it. And as soon as it was done, I kind of want to just go back and press buy. Wait, so let's let's right. let's get some follow up on that. How did your great beauty transaction go? It took a couple weeks, but I got the money back. <laughs> well, that's good. No, okay. I would definitely recommend owning this. I mean, there are little Easter eggs hidden in here. There's foreshadowing throughout the script. You know, there's lines like, wait till you get married and have half a dozen daughters and see how you feel when some mug brings them home at eight in the morning. Oh, yeah. So, and the, you know, one of the witnesses at the fake wedding is talking about how you need to have lots of run off, you know, get married and have lots of little babies, pitter patter of all the little footy woodies. So, <laughs> boy, absolutely. This is, <laughs> this is a lighthearted film enough to revisit 
every like six months if you wanted to. Like you could do, you could see this more than once. Just put a it year. on in the background. Whereas and, there's yeah. some yeah. things you couldn't do that. So uh, now again, next week we are returning the Netflix roulette. This is our third rotation. Goodfellas. So be sure to check out Goodfellas if you have never. Actually, this is seen our it. fourth rotation. Is it really? Oh yeah. No, we're not yes. fourth rotation. Yeah. We've just this. This episode marks the beginning of our fourth rotation. Right on. Well, it's actually our fourth rotation then, <laughs> and that is going to be for Goodfellas. Be sure to check it out. I'm going to assume it'll still be on Netflix in, you know, 10 weeks when this comes out, because that movie has literally never left Netflix. It's I, I'm going to say right say now that, that uh, Goodfellas is one of those movies on Netflix that everybody has in their queue and nobody has gotten around to watching. Unless you've seen it already. Unless you've seen it already. Uh, so right. be sure to check that out. Let's go around the horn really quick and see where we can find everybody else online. David Luzader, what's up with you? Uh, Heck Yeah Comics Podcast. You can also find me on the Brokebot Mountain Podcast. You can find me around the internet under the username DavLuz. That is D-A-V-L-U-Z. So Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram. Find me there. Awesome. And what about you, Nicole? You can find me curating the Movie Go Round Facebook page at facebook.com slash movie go round podcast. And you can find me on Twitter, and that's at your word whiz, Y-O-U-R-W-O-R-D-W-H-I-Z. Very good. You can find me on brettdavidstort.com, on Twitter at Rivers Rubin. Those are the two best places to get in contact with me. You can also find the show on Twitter, twitter.com slash moviegoroundpod. You can email us. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this film or any other film we've watched or a film we're going to watch. In fact, uh, let us know what you think of movies and we'll go back in when the time comes and edit in your responses if we get them. Uh, that's moviegoround at tiltingwindmillstudios.com and finally, here's our call to action. If you enjoy the show, go and rate it on Stitcher or iTunes, wherever you get your podcast because that helps introduce the show to more people. Uh, by our stats, we're growing every single week and I love to see that. So get more people into this fun party so we can watch more movies and you can ruin our week every fifth week. That's really what it's all about here at Movie Go Round. I'll do it for myself. For <laughs> Making us David watch bad movies. And Nicole. But uh, yeah, forever, I would everybody. definitely urge you to do so. I went on iTunes the other day and looked if I see if I could find us just by browsing through the TV and film podcast. Could not even find us because we did not rank high enough in their stats. We need that, but we are so, high enough. We have ranked high enough now where we have an average rating displayed, which is good because yay. they don't always display that. So we have an average but rating. More rating seemed, means more visibility. Absolutely. So. All right, everybody. See you next week with good fellas. 